You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating, episode 19 with Rachel Goodman. Rachel is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, entrepreneur, public speaker, and mom of three who completely understands the challenges of juggling life, work, and taking care of yourself. As you will be able to tell from our conversation, she is so passionate about helping women stop being at war with food and their bodies and helping them cultivate a healthy relationship with food as well as fostering a positive body image through the lens of self-care and compassion so that they can show up fully for their life and live at their highest potential. Rachel's practice helps women rid themselves of food rules, guilt, and binge eating, and heal their relationship with food through coaching, public speaking, and her online courses. Her Instagram platform is at dietitian.rachelgoodman. And there are so many more goodies over there. I will link to all of the ways that you can connect with Rachel in the show notes. She is also the host of the More Than What You Eat podcast. And without further ado, let's talk to Rachel. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad that we can make this work. And I'm very excited to have this conversation. I know that you weren't always intuitive eating, so or an intuitive eating registered dietitian. And so I guess I'm curious if you can share a little bit about your journey getting to this place and, you know, food freedom, all that stuff. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited too. I love anything intuitive eating, food freedom, that conversation. I'm like all in. So yeah, let me share a little bit about that. Cause I did start off as like a weight loss. Like I was never an extreme dietitian anyway. I was always like all foods fit, lifestyle, like all that. Um, but definitely clients came to me for weight loss. Looking back, I would consider myself a weight loss dietitian, but my journey, and I'll really do it briefly. It could be like our conversation on its own. It really starts from like before I was even a dietitian, like my own struggles with food. I think probably like 11 years old was the first time I ever went on a diet and had this like thought of, I need to lose weight, wow. um, which is always crazy when you then look back and you're like, this was like a child and like what and you're developing. Um, but anyway, I had that first like diet, which was basically I cut out my recess snacks. And it's crazy that at 11 years old, I made that association. Like I already knew the whole calories thing or like the whole eating thing um, and how that really to wait. And so that really started my whole yo-yo journey, I guess you would say, of dieting and binge eating and food rules and, and negative body image and like being mean to myself and really being on this cycle. And of course, all this was reaffirmed by society because anytime I did lose weight, it was always like, oh my God, you look amazing. What are you doing? And so, you know, it's hard to get off that roller coaster ride when everyone around you is kind of doing the same thing you're doing. And really reaffirming the belief that you're doing the right thing when it just felt so not normal. And I remember clearly like throughout my teens, I was, my biggest wish was just like, especially after a binge, I would just look in the mirror and be so devastated and be like, I just want food to be peaceful. Like that was literally my biggest wish. And I just thought it was normal to like struggle in this way and almost contribute some of the admiration people have for someone who loses weight to the idea of, well, they're disciplined, they have willpower, and that's why they were able to do it. And so I always just thought you just need to be stronger. And I wasn't strong enough to be able to diet successfully, whatever that means. Right. 
And so I decided to go to college and learn to be a dietitian to basically figure out my own issues with food. Like I really wanted to know what it was like, like what it was supposed to be like to eat healthy. Like what is nutritious eating? What is balancing? What am I supposed to be doing here? So that then I could help myself and then help others. Uh, And it did definitely do that to an extent. I did understand what balanced eating is. And definitely when you go to college and learn to be a dietitian, you cut out all the extremism of things. You know, most dietitians that I know, they don't believe in um, fad diets or like cutting out whole food groups or going extreme restriction. Most that I know, and definitely that's not how we're taught. We're definitely taught a balanced weight, but it's very weight focused. It's very much, you know, this will result in weight loss or this has to result in weight loss. Kind of that promise that it needs to happen or should happen or that it's health promoting. And so while I did improve my eating habits overall and eating more balanced, the binges didn't stop, which made me feel worse because here I am learning nutrition, learning to be the expert. And I am like binge eating in secret. And it was even worse because people knew that I was studying to be a dietitian and they're like, oh, she's learning nutrition. She eats so healthy because in front of people, I would eat pretty, you know, what people would consider healthy, um, nutritious foods and like balance. And I would get comments on that. It only made it worse when no one was looking and I'm like inhaling. Oh my God, this is like the craziest moment probably ever that I remember. I intentionally went and made a Duncan Hines brownie batch in order to just eat the batter. I didn't even bake it because I love the batter. And I remember making that batter and sitting there just probably eating at least half of that batter by myself, feeling sick after and feeling like a fraud at the same time. And like, oh my God, if people saw me now, if people knew, oh my goodness. And so I definitely felt like, what am I, what's happening? What's wrong with me? Still blaming myself. Along the way, I did just become more balanced with food and body image. My own personal journey was more so like when I got married and had kids, I know for some people it gets worse for me, it like shifted. I just made this commitment that as much as I feel negatively about my body sometimes or anything like that, I'm no longer giving it voice. And so for some people, this might not work. Some people need to talk it out and need to like do the journaling and all of that. But I said, okay, if you think it, stop just talking about it. Because before then, I would constantly be asking people around me, especially my mom, did I gain weight? Did I lose weight? Is this healthy? Like obsessing, obsessing. And once I got married, I'm like, I don't want that conversation to be a part of my life anymore. And so I made the decision to just not talk about it, which was an improvement and helpful for me. Again, everyone has their different ways of like coping things, but I just didn't let it take the forefront of things anymore. And along the way, I became a dietitian and all of that. What shifted was after I had my second daughter that I was like, okay, I'm going to lose the weight. And again, I wasn't extreme at that point. I'm going to like lose it gradually. I, it took me nine months to gain it. It'll take me nine months to take it off, right? Like <laughs> there was no extremism here anymore. I definitely was at a healthier place with food um, than I was like before I got married or like my teen years, but still there was that frustration. And I did start to binge eat a little bit more again. And um, I wasn't losing the weight as fast as I did with my first daughter because I did lose the weight pretty quickly with my first daughter, which I think had more to do also with nursing for me. That's just how it played out. But at the same time, I was definitely doing like macro counting kind of thing for a while, which did feel peaceful for a while. But then that's the thing. A lot of people say, well, this works for me. It's amazing. It did work for me. and was amazing for nine months. And then it started slipping back into like binge eating. And at first it starts like here and there, and then it just kind of starts to avalanche. And I think 
a lot of times people, when they challenge intuitive eating, they'll bring their own example. Like, well, I do X, Y, Z. If it works for you, great. But also how long have you been doing this for, right? We're not aiming for one year or two years. We're aiming for your whole life and that's sustainability. And so with my second daughter, it was not going the same way as my first one. And I was also starting to get back into like the binge eating and the overeating. And that is when my, a colleague of mine, I was a dietitian at that point, colleague of mine told me about the intuitive eating book. And when I read it, so much of it clicked because I was already practicing a lot of it just naturally by listening to hungerfulness. The parts I was missing, which I think a lot of people are missing is like making peace with food, not having food rules, respecting your body, size acceptance, that kind of thing. And really from there, I started healing fully from that. And then after a while, probably four months after I learned about it, I then shifted my practice to intuitive eating when I realized that for a long time, well, four months, I feel like it's a long time when you're like seeing people and like, you know, you're a dietitian and you're practicing. I knew like that I no longer wanted to focus on weight yet. I still had clients coming for weight loss. I didn't shift my practice for a while because I was too scared because all my life I learned all my life. I mean, not all my life, but all my college years, all my career life. So old, I, Rachel. I learned so old, ancient. Um, I had learned people are coming to you for weight loss. That's what they want. And so there was this fear of a dietitian does help you lose weight. And so here I am. And I didn't yet know so many other dietitians who were doing intuitive eating. I think now it's like almost like an explosion. Like there are so many more dietitians in the field doing this and like therapists and people, but, um, this was like four years ago, which is not so long ago, but still so much has changed in that time. I felt that who's going to come see me if I'm telling them, I'm not going to like focus on weight loss and promise them that then they're like, I'm not gonna have a business. I love what I do and I care about helping people, but also you learn a career for a livelihood. So there was that fear, but then I realized ultimately, and this for anyone who's listening, like think about this, what people really want is happiness. And they believe that focusing on weight loss and losing weight and being on a diet is gonna give them happiness. When if they really take a moment to assess their life and do an inventory of how the food rules the restrictions, the overthinking, the the going to, you know, holiday meals and like overthinking what to eat and then binge eating and feeling out of control, feeling gross. This whole obsession around food and body size, how is that making you happy? And realizing that you think the dieting is the solution, but the dieting is the cause for all those struggles. And when I realized that I'm like, people just want to be happy. I'm like, okay, I need to, my mission now is to help people see that Your happiness is available right now. You do not need to be on a diet. You do not need to hate your body. All those things that you think are only available to you when you're skinny or when you lose weight or when you're on a diet, they're available to you now and you could have a healthy relationship with food and you could feel at peace with yourself and your body. And I was like, hey, that's that's what I want. I want people to be happy. And so that helped me kind of shift and be like, okay, I'm committing to this. This feels right. This feels aligned with my values. And here we are today doing the thing. (laughs) Exactly. And I think also to a certain extent, people can see that you really believe in it and that you're confident it worked for you. And it's not just the kind of thing where this works for me and therefore it should work for you. It's a framework that everyone can fit their own lifestyle into. And if you're confident about it and you believe that other people can be happy through this framework, then it's up to you to share it because other people wouldn't know. Before you learned about intuitive eating, you didn't know. Yeah. And I think that's an important point you brought up. Yes, it was helpful to me in my life, but at the same time, 
my personal experience is not enough to do this work. There needs to be like a validated uh, research framework to say this applies for all human beings. And so I think that's what we need to be weary of in general. Um, I think the diet culture does that a lot where it's like they use personal experience and, hey, I did this diet and lost weight and so can you. But personal experience is not evidence-based practice. Yes, I do believe that I can relate more to my clients. And I do believe that um, as a practitioner, like I can empathize more. And there's also the personal experience, which definitely helps me in coaching my clients, but it would not be enough if I didn't have the research that I looked at and the all the time I took to really look into this and see, okay, what is the process in doing this, how to apply this to other people. And so being mindful of that as well, where yes, it's inspiring to see other people's journey and it's possible that parts of that will work for you. But beyond that, you need to make sure that what you're preaching is not just your personal experience, but also is validated in research and practice. Yeah. As a therapist, that's something that comes up all the time because it's very possible that a therapist has a personal experience that aligns with the clients and that's fine. You can share it. You can not share it. But the point is that you have to ask the questions. Don't assume that you know what it's like. Don't assume that you're part of the same community or that you've had a similar experience. And therefore this is what your experience has been like. Ask questions try to see what it's like to be in this person's shoes as if you know nothing. And then you can actually come to understand them and empathize with them that much more. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's very dangerous to kind of like use yourself. I am sure therapists and I think everyone in any health position or self-help, not self-help in like a helping, you know, so helping someone with their health or in general in that position should just always be aware of even like, let's say if someone's binge eating, like the reason they're binge eating or how it happens is not going to be the same for every person. It's not going to be necessarily the same reasons that happened for me. And so while there's the empathy, it's also so important to realize, Hey, it's still not you. You're not the client. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I would love if we can do a little bit of an FAQ sort of thing about intuitive eating. I say FAQ, it's so, I use it lightly because FAQs for intuitive eating are so loaded. I mean, they're rarely benign. You know this. You've been the recipient of this very many times. It's so argumentative, so angry. It cuts deep for a lot of people. It really challenges their beliefs, the way that they grew up things that they have to might think differently about themselves. It's hard for someone to accept these principles. So I I get why some people are angry, but I say the FAQs to to put a little lightly. Um, So maybe I'll be the obnoxious person and you be you. So you can kind of tell me what what would it What if, yeah, like you're the confused, frustrated person who- Okay, that's better. Yes, it's like, because it's, it's, I find that when people are like, like that, it's usually because you're pushing against their belief system and that's going to be very uncomfortable. Um, and I think for anyone listening in general, when someone starts to get like hostile or obnoxious or anything like that, recognize that it's really not about you. Things you're saying is probably triggering things in them. And it's not your fault that they're being triggered by that. It's something that they really need to take time to like be aware that they're being triggered and and work through it. And I will say as a preface to my answers, like I'm excited to hear your questions, is that I'll respond to them. And you might be in the same situation where you're responding to them, knowing that 
this person, whoever is asking the question, they need to be ready to have a respectful conversation and to listen. And if you're recognizing that that's not the case, you can say, you know what? Hey, it's fine. We don't have to talk about this. We can talk about a million other things. Like we can agree to disagree, um, knowing that you get to choose where to put your mental and emotional energy. Because if the person is committed to misunderstanding you, it's just not fair for you either. Like you can set that boundary and say, Hey, you know what? This is probably not a conversation for us to have. Cause it's not positive for either of us. It's fine. Let's just talk about something else and respect each other. So just wanted to preface that. Yeah. And that can be applied to any topic that gets heated that like you're saying, if somebody is angry about it, they're not able to listen to you. And so whatever you're going to say is going to fall on deaf ears and you may as well not be talking because then, I mean, if anything, it's worse because you'll just get riled up because they're definitely not going to be hearing you. Okay. So I'm not going to be the angry person. I'll be the confused person who. Or angry. You can be angry too if you want. All right. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> However it is, you know what? Just maybe mix and match it. You can be like, I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm totally. obnoxious. Just all the personalities. <laughs> okay. So the first question that I have is, I don't even know if this is a question, but I've heard this a bunch. I just need to rewire my brain. My There's something wrong with my brain. It doesn't know how to understand food. It doesn't know when to stop. I just need to rewire it. Can you do that? Um, first of all, Yeah possible that there's some rewiring. I think everything with intuitive eating is rewiring or more so creating new neural pathways. Because if your go-to is to not trust your body, is to diet, is food rules, then yeah, your wiring, which is your neurotransmitters, your pathways that you've created, which happen with repetition, you know, repetitive thoughts, your automatic is to feel like you're out of control with food. You can't trust yourself. And so you're definitely onto something. At least I think this is actually a great question because you're recognizing that it has to do with mindset and with the brain. And it's more than just like controlling your behaviors from there. This is a very broad statement, but from there I would get into the conversation of, okay, what are you specifically talking about? What behaviors are happening? And then I would take time to explain the wiring since this person wants the the psychology of of this Based on their struggle, I would take time to explain, oh, this is happening because of this reason in your wiring. Or sometimes it's not just the mental wiring. This is happening because physiologically, like biologically, this is what happens when you do that behavior. And this is why I think this is such a great question because it opens up space to really get an explanation and understanding of why you're struggling. Because A lot of the struggle with binge eating or food rules or body image happen because we don't understand why they happen. And then we blame ourselves for them. And if you can understand what's happening, like mentally, psychologically, and physiologically, you understand there's a reason. And as humans, when we know there's a reason, it's just so much more reassuring because then we could figure out the actual solution for that than just believing that you're a problem. Mm -hmm. So let's let's jump ahead. I have a follow-up question, but I'm assuming you're going to say one thing. So I'll just kind of say the whole thing. I have a binge problem. I need to fix my binge problem. You're going to tell me that I'm not eating enough and that I have a restrict problem, but I really have a binge problem. Okay. Well, first of all, how do you know you're eating enough? Are you eating enough? Because you're onto something. If you're not eating enough, then yes, you are aware at least that you'll binge if you're not eating enough. And there's a physiological reason for that, which we can talk about. But how do you know that you're eating enough and you're also eating consistently. What makes I, you I love that, that point. So many people say this and then it's kind of crickets when you ask that question. How do you know that you're eating enough? 
well, I don't know. I just am. And that's not really an answer. Yeah, because they're right. This person, whoever this is, they already have awareness. It sounds like they already know a little bit about intuitive eating and they're challenging it. They've been following your page for three months. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So, um, oh, it's like a real person we're talking about here. So um, here's the thing. One, recognizing, yes, there's two reasons why someone would binge. I mean, there, there can be more, but there are the two essential reasons. One, they're physically not eating enough. And so there are the physiological reasons and changes in your body that would drive you to binge as a survival mechanism. Then there's um, you're eating enough, but you're mentally restricting And so if you're mentally restricting, even if you're eating enough, you're still sending the brain the message that food is limited to you in some capacity. Even if you had chocolate a million times, even if you're surrounded by food all around, you're essentially telling your brain, do not have this food. And the message you're sending it is we are at risk of not having access to food. And again, your cells don't know that you are literally surrounded by abundance of food. So the message that you're getting is, hey, we're at a threat to not get food. And so that is a a risk to your survival. And so you'll start to get different mechanisms as well to drive you to binge You know, there's, first of all, dieting and, and constantly restricting yourself is stressful. That increases your stress hormone cortisol. And over time, that increases cravings. It increases the reward response in your brain as a motivator to get you to eat. And so when you do finally eat, you're getting such a heightened and like an overhyped reward response that you have that feeling of like, well, I'm addicted. It's like, no, you're not addicted. You're restricted and you're causing your reward response to be overstimulated. Because if you look at people who diet and non-dieters, the, the MRI of their brain, like you can see people who diet, who restrict their reward Uh, response in their brain is more like active than someone who's not dieting. And so there are different reasons, but you first have to make sure that physically you are eating enough. And so if you're assuming you're eating enough, personally, what I do with clients is I actually do a food journal or at the very least like a 24 hour recall to see, okay, what are you actually eating? a lot of times it's not eating enough. Like a hundred calorie Greek yogurt with baby carrots for lunch is not enough at all, right? And so, or maybe they're having like bigger meals earlier in the day, but then there's like a six hour gap in the day and then you get overly hungry and you'll still binge eat. So it's not just about eating enough. It's also eating enough consistently throughout the day. So one, that would be my question. How do you know you're eating enough? What makes you think you're eating enough? Are you really eating enough? The other thing is, even if you are eating enough, if you're mentally restricting, if you have food rules, that's going to still contribute to you feeling out of control with food. So there are various different ways to restrict is what you're saying. Yeah. It's not just physically and like my body's not eating enough, but also mentally. So there's more than one way to restrict for sure. Um, and mentally is a big one that people miss. They're like, well, I'm eating enough. But if you're thinking thoughts like, I really shouldn't eat this, or this is so bad, or this is fattening, or I ate too much, you know, this meal was enough. I shouldn't be hungry right now. So I really shouldn't be eating. All these kind of thoughts of, I shouldn't, this is bad, this is unhealthy. Um, And anything that really makes you feel like I should restrict this for reasons that are not in alignment with your body. Because you absolutely could say, hey, having cake now is not going to make me feel good. And so I'm not going to have it. That is not restriction. 
that just makes sense for what your body, you know, in alignment with your body. It's not saying I'm never going to have cake this whole week or this whole month. You know, you're going to have cake tomorrow. Right now, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to feel good. You might not have cake tomorrow. You might have the cake tomorrow. But the point is, it's not this like rule of I'm trying to be good and I'm not going to have and all this energy you know, it takes a lot of energy to restrict and to be on top of these food rules. So if it feels draining, if it feels obsessive, that's probably mental restriction that is contributing to your binge eating. So just as a follow-up to the, how do you know that you're eating enough? Let's say I'm, it doesn't really matter what my body type I've gotten this question from so many different types of people. Come on, Rachel, look at me. I can't possibly be restricting. Like what my, my body, what my body looks like. So you're assuming that eating a certain way will result in a certain body size. And this is where we need to have the conversation of body diversity. Would you ever say like, hey, come on, look, like I am, let's say we all jog the same amount, right? Mm -hmm. We all jog a mile and say, Connor, Rachel, like I'm jogging a mile. So like my legs should be this length, obviously. Would we ever say that our legs should adjust to the amount we're running? Like, would we ever apply that logic to our height, to our hair color, to any other part of our body? Probably not, right? Like we would never tell somebody, well, you are short because you're not trying hard enough to be tall. Just saying that really sounds dumb, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so we need to start applying that logic. Yes. Do eating habits and health and um, lifestyle habits impact weight? They do to an extent. And that's the thing to recognize is that you do have a set weight point that can range uh, within a few pounds, right? Within like 10 to 20 pounds, but it's to an extent. If your body wants to be at a certain set weight point, then it's going to fight you to stay within that range. Like if your body's meant to be a size 16, 14 to 16, then it's not going to like magically go to a size eight because you're eating like somebody else. You know what I'm saying? We can all eat and move exactly the same and still look different. And there's so many considerations to that. One, there's genetics. Two, it's possible that maybe naturally your weight was at a lower point at some point in your life. But if you've chronically dieted, um, Chronic dieting is actually a predictor of long-term weight gain and your body starts to not feel safe with all the weight loss. So it starts to hold on to weight gain. So it could be that as a result, your weight, your set weight point is now higher as a safety mechanism for your body. Cause again, it doesn't care what your goals are. It just knows primarily what it's trying to do. And that's to survive. Sometimes people eat intuitively and they do go back to their set weight point. And sometimes they don't, cause now they're at a new set weight point. Um, there's also like medications or medical conditions or things, even like financial access to foods, you know, that are wholesome. So there's so many things to take into consideration. So the assumption, hormonal changes, yes. Aging, pregnancy. I mean, there's so many things that can contribute to that. And that's normal. Like your body changing throughout life is a normal thing. And so if you're assuming that eating a certain way is supposed to result in body size, I would say take time to explore that and your belief system of that. Why do you believe that is? And really seeing how much you're eating. Because, you know, if you are eating enough and you're thinking like, this is too much, then you're you're constantly living in this place of like food rules. 
almost like this alternative reality that is not yours. You should be eating that much. I can't even tell you how many times um, someone who's coming off like restriction panics, like we'll work together and they'll start, you know, listening to cues and then they'll panic and be like, I'm just eating all the time, overeating. And then I look at their food journal. I'm like, are you overeating or are you just finally eating normally, which for a diet would be overeating because diets are calorie restrictive. And now that you're eating normally, the diet would consider it overeating, but this would just be normal eating. So speaking of cues for a second, we talk in intuitive eating about hunger fullness cues, which is a small part of it. It's not everything. It's not the hunger fullness diet, but it's definitely part of it. This is something that also people say, I just don't get hungry before lunch. I just don't. And so if I don't get hungry, are you saying that I should not eat until lunch? Okay. So it really depends on this client and the history and like what else is going on. Cause I totally get that. There are some people who wake up in the morning and the first two hours, they're just not in the mood of eating. And I, I do think that having something earlier in the day is important, but also not force feeding. Um, at the same time, the fact that this person is saying lunch, that's too long. That indicates to me that I would want to know how long have you not been eating breakfast? Because if you have gone for a long time not eating breakfast, it could be that you've just shut down your cues and that your body's hungry. You're just not getting the cues. And I think that's what's important about the conversation with hunger fullness cues and the nuance of that. I think it would actually be dangerous advice to tell everybody, just listen to your hunger fullness totally. cues. Because somebody who has an eating disorder, yeah, someone who has an eating disorder, especially the restrictive a spectrum of things. It's almost like, oh, okay, great. So like, I have this excuse now. Well, I don't feel hungry. You told me to listen to my hunger fullness cues and I don't feel hungry. So I guess I don't need to eat and it's fine. Um, almost maybe someone who's really in the thick of it, like almost a celebration of like, well, you see, I'm not hungry. So I don't have to eat. The thing with that is that your body after such restriction, it goes into survival mode. And so you've basically blunted it. Um, you've blunted those cues and with time, what, what would need to be done, what I do with clients who, um, and by the way, it doesn't only happen with people who are super restrictive. Like I have plenty of clients who binge eat and they're just so disconnected from their cues overall that it's confusing and they don't feel them. But what needs to happen if someone um, doesn't feel their hunger cues is you're going to have to use logic for a little bit and, and self-care logic from a place of self-care and say, Hey, I need to be eating enough and I need to be eating consistently. And although I'm not hungry in the morning, and again, it doesn't have to be force fed like the first hour, but definitely let's say like two hours later. Right. I mean, till lunch is, is just too long. That indicates to me either distraction cues are blunted, stress, not healthy things. And so sometime in the morning saying, okay, this is the time that I'm going to have breakfast as an act of self-care. And this is what I'm going to eat. And I'm going to also schedule for 12 o'clock or, you know, flexible times. You don't have to be rigid about your timing, but definitely having like between two to four hours, depending on what you're eating and working with a professional, if you need help to do this and having consistency and what happens over time, you know, I have a client example. She um, never stopped to eat lunch because she was like super busy. And she's like, well, I never feel hungry anyway for lunch. So there's no point in stopping. And then she would literally have a binge fest 5 p.m. And she's like, well, why am I binge eating? It's just emotional, all that. And I explained to her, well, you're literally not eating for like seven hours. So there's, <laughs> there's your reason. Uh, you're overly hungry. Your body's in survival mode. And so as much as she didn't feel her cues... 1 p.m. It made sense based on her schedule. 1 p.m. She put a reminder and she stopped and had lunch, even if it was like something super simple and convenient, uh, which I find, by the way, 
a lot of times people have a hard time honoring their hunger because they feel so overwhelmed with their food rules. They don't even know what to eat. And so they just distract themselves and say, I'm not going to deal with it and not eat anything. And so that's something to assess. Are you not honoring your hunger because you're not hungry? Are you not honoring your hunger because you get so overwhelmed with your food rules that you just decide to avoid it and not eat? So this way you can know what actually needs to be addressed. But with this client, she did that. After two weeks, she's like, Rachel, I I cannot continue after one o'clock. I am hungry. I need to stop. And then after about like four months of working together, she's like, my cues are so strong. It's like annoying in like a joking way. She's like, I have to stop and eat. And like, you know, all of that. Um, Where before she was like, I just don't feel hungry. And that was because she wasn't actually giving her body. Your body will adapt. Your body's smart. And so the more you can start to eat consistently from a logical self-care place and have patience with yourself with time for most people, those cues come back and you'll start to sense them more naturally and will feel more easy to eat intuitively from a place of like honoring hunger. Yeah. And I will add to the point that you were saying before about somebody who's in the thick of an eating disorder, and this feels like permission for them not to eat. If this part of the discussion is anxiety provoking for someone to get their hunger, well, not their fullness so much, but their sense of hunger back, then that's something to unpack for the individual because hunger fullness is part of our normal body function to let us know that we need fuel. Um, So just kind of putting that out there. Absolutely. And anything that I say, like, I don't say lightly, like, I know that it's such a huge struggle for anyone who's listening. It's more so everything is to bring awareness and like, Hey, are you if you're using that as an excuse and almost like celebrating that you don't have hunger cues, like that's serious. Like that's something to check out and to, to get help for and recognizing like that's not a healthy thing. And that's why I'm so glad we're having this conversation about hunger fullness because we don't want it to turn into dangerous advice. And to remember that with all, like with all things, intuitive eating, there's, there's nuance. Exactly. I have a bunch of other questions. I think they're kind of variations of what we've talked about. So let's kind of like pivot to a different one where thinking about, let's say, special things for the season. So right now we have pumpkin spice lattes and we have hot chocolate and we have waffles and such yummy things, but they're not, quote, healthy. So what would you say to somebody who says, well, those are not healthy and why should I eat them? They would never be considered healthy. I would first take time to define what health is. Like, what is health for you? And so often we like to put all the emphasis on nutrients, nutrients, nutrients. It's the end all be all, like the food you eat and the nutrients that are in it. And if you actually take time to like, research different things that impact your health, you know, there's, you can eat perfectly nutritious, quote unquote, I don't want to say any like kind of triggering, um, <laughs> triggering kind of um, terms, but ultimately 100% perfect, healthy, nutritious eating, right? If you're super stressed, if you're sleep deprived, if you're not moving your body, if you don't have, you know, healthy, happy relationships, which, you know, shows how much that contributes to lo- not only a healthy life, but longevity, um, then you can very much be an unhealthy person and have ailments and all like these things impact your health too. So one, you know, I'm a dietitian, definitely nutrition has its place in health. And I respect that. And I appreciate that while with the same token, recognizing that it becomes dangerous and unhealthy when you're putting all your eggs in one basket and saying health and nutrition is the end all be all, because by doing that, you're then taxing other parts of your life. 
your relationships probably won't be as joyful when you want to go out for date night and you're so focused on eating quote unquote healthy that you stress out about the menu. And then you're worried about what you're going to order. And if, you know, you know, the person who's with you is ordering fries, you start to stress out about not having fries. And then you end up binging on the fries maybe. Um, and then you come home and like, you didn't even enjoy that outing, which is not healthy. Like that's your relationship. That's your joy. That's experiences or like stress levels of dieting. Stress is not healthy for you. And so redefining what health is and putting food in its like appropriate place, if it's the end all be all for you right now, that's an indicator that it's probably not a healthy thing for you right now. Everyone knows the difference between an apple and a donut. I give that example all the time. Nutritionally, we know there's a difference, but recognizing that nutrients are not the end all be all to health. It's healthy to get coffee with a friend and revel in the joy of enjoying, you know, the seasonal latte and take that in and the warmth of that and and how much joy it brings you, you know, the pleasure of food. Food is supposed to connect us. Connection is healthy. Social creatures, we need connection. It's good for our immune system. It's good for our mental health. And it's all connected. Our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, they're all interconnected and impact each other. So if you're focusing 100% on your physical health, but as a result, your mental health is declining and your emotional health is declining, that is 100% going to impact your physical health anyway, and you're not going to be happy. So I think it starts with redefining what health is. And while giving respect to food as being a part of that, not having to be the end all be all uh, and noticing in what ways can a spice, uh, a pumpkin spice latte promote your health actually. Like the fact that you're able to sit there and enjoy that and not stress about it and not feel guilty about it. Um, which by the way, guilt and stress decreases the absorption of nutrients from your food. So if you're having a salad and you're super stressed and worried, like you're probably not even getting the full benefit of that nutrient. That is really interesting. So yeah, yeah. It's wild. Your gut, your nerves, um, your nervous system and your gut system are very much connected and your nervous system is impacted by your thoughts and your feelings and how you feel about food. And so if you're stressed and feeling guilty all the time, like as it relates to food, you're probably not even getting the most benefit out of the nutrients in terms of like digestion. So taking that into consideration and knowing that there's a place to enjoy all foods. And when you're learning to listen to your body, your body won't lead you astray. Like it doesn't want to have, you know, five slices of cake because think about how you'd feel with five slices of cake. You don't need me to tell you don't eat five slices of cake. You listen to your body and this is where it gets tricky. Like if I just listen to my body, then I'm going to eat all the things. That's probably an indicator of an unhealthy relationship with food. And like we said, there's, you know, awareness to pay attention to. There's the mental restriction. It might happen initially, which is normal, but you should be seeing like a decrease in those binge eating as you make peace with food. If you don't, that's a signal that you're missing some piece of the puzzle here that you might need someone to help you with connecting the dots. It's not because it's not working. There's likely some parts missing here, whether it's the body image piece, whether it's awareness, whether it's like confusion and stress, whatever it is, but recognizing that if you learn to listen to your body, you will find full enjoyment in cake and then be like, Hey, I'm good and move on. And just think about how freeing that would be to just have a slice of cake, move on with your day instead of spending all that time stressing about it. Definitely, definitely more health promoting than the stress about not yeah, having as a cake. completely unrelated note I'm thinking when we're talking lattes I think one time when we went out you had a turmeric spiced latte and it was just the, I think it was the first time yeah. I've ever seen it was that good 
turmeric latte. Yeah, that was all the yeah. hype back then. <laughs> Remember, everyone was like into turmeric, golden milk. And I'm like, you know, let me try it. It was fine. I don't think it was like, there's a lot of things that are hyped. Like, I don't like matcha. I'm not crazy about kale. And that's the thing. It's like, we get so hyped up on these like superfoods. It's like, well, you could have a tomato and lettuce and cucumber and peppers and beets. Like all these things are just as nutrient dense in different ways, of course. It's fine if you don't like matcha. I don't know. I feel like it tastes like defrosted liquid spinach. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is so spot on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Is it, do you feel that way too? I mean, if you love your matcha, cool, awesome, which is another thing about intuitive eating. So often I found that when I was on a diet, there were so many things that I would convince myself that I liked because it was a diet approved, but only later when I had it again, I was like, did I really like this? No, I just convincing myself. Like, so really take time to assess, do you really like that food or is it just mentally feeling safe to you? And so you're convincing yourself, but really you're not satisfied. And maybe because of that dissatisfaction, you're constantly obsessing about food because it's important to actually really like your food. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate your insights, your time. Before I let you go, can you just share with our listeners where they can find you? Absolutely. Well, first of all, as you know, my favorite place to hang out is Instagram. So you can follow me, connect with me. Let me know what you thought about this podcast at dietitian.rachelgoodman. I'd love to connect with you. If anyone is struggling with like binge eating and feeling out of control with food, I also have a free guide called Three Steps to Stop Feeling Out of Control with Food, where actually some of the things we talked about, it's all like kind of written out step-by-step of what you can do and kind of like a workbook. So you can download that. I'll share that with you. Um, I also have a podcast where we talk about different topics on intuitive eating and like body image. So that's more than what you eat podcast. And for anything else in terms of like working with me or programs or things like that to help you heal your relationship with food, you can go to rachelgoodnutrition.com as well. If you know have speaking events or want to bring this to your community or to your event to really talk about intuitive eating and having a healthy relationship with food, you can also um, contact me by going to rachelgoodnutrition.com forward slash speaking to reach out about speaking at your event. I'd love to. Obviously, you can see I love to talk and <laughs> talk about this. Yes. And we'll link so to all of this in the show notes. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. Thanks for having me. This is really fun. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone who may as well, please share it. Not only does it help us reach more people, it really makes my day to know that this show is making a difference. All right. Talk next time.